Well, it is very, very good and an honor and a privilege to be able to be live once more with real people in the auditorium. I mean, this is a great thing. In one sense, this testifies of the fact that we've persevered, that we've persevered. And I would just uh, echo what uh, JC has said in, in drawing your attention over the next six weeks or so to this series that I have the privilege of introducing uh, here this evening called Reminded, Becoming Mentally and Emotionally Healthy. And we're going to be discussing the importance of having our minds and our lives renewed as we emerge from this COVID pandemic. For the last 13 months, we've all been impacted, probably in some ways we aren't even aware of. But nonetheless, uh, we, are, we are needing to reboot we're needing to come back and look afresh at what it is to be not only safeguarded in our, our, our minds, our emotions, but to address the things that maybe have come to our awareness over the last 13 months. Uh, we may have experienced and had the spotlight put on behaviors, motivations, habits, many of which are rooted in our past. We spend the We're going to spend the next weeks considering how we can relate to these effects of being isolated, being apart from one another, being confined in ways that we're not used to being confined, and the corresponding pressures and uh, realities that, uh, that have affected us. And we're going to consider these in terms of what does God say to us? What has God provided for us? We've got a number of very, very gifted ministers that are going to be presenting on Wednesday night. And I would just encourage you, make sure that you tune in, that you take part. And if you're online and can any way you can come and join us live, I just would say celebrate the fact that we not, may not be uh, post-COVID, but we're getting past COVID. And it's good to be together like this. But as we, as we have an opportunity to look at how we can overcome the effects of the past months, I just want to commend to us that we do so as disciples of Jesus Christ. As we'll see this evening, God is sovereign over all the realities that impact our lives. COVID pandemics and the things in us that have been challenged, exposed, brought into the light in a fresh and possibly more intense ways. But I want to suggest that we look at this these next weeks and we look at where we are now as disciples, not victims. As people who are joined to the God who's sovereign over all things. And we're going to explore that in some detail here in my message tonight. I've entitled this message, Looking Back to Go Forward. Two Pasts, One Future. Two pasts, one future. My text is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Very familiar. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Join me in prayer. Lord God, thank you again for the privilege. I just humble myself before you here and I just invite you, Holy Spirit, come. Fill up the words, fill up the things that are said tonight in such a way that we are, that you are commended to us, that you are lifted up, 
that we are realigned toward you because of what you have done for us. So Jesus Christ, come be Lord of this time. Holy Spirit, fill up this moment, as, as others say, this place and this space. And God glorify your name as you do so. Amen. The passage that I'm working from tonight and teaching about is oftentimes referenced in any discussion, Christian counselors, psychologists, whatever, when they, when they speak about mental health and well-being of the soul. And it's, it's commonly referenced because it holds such a rich promise and hope. And we want to explore this uh, for a moment and draw what is there for us that we can hear and that we can apply to our own life. But to understand verse 17, not uncommon uh, if you've been with us as we go through the word of God, it's an elaboration on something that came before that. And what came before it we find in verses 14 and 15 and what, what is being spoken there gives us clarity about what Paul is saying in verse 17. In verses 14 and 15, Paul writes this, again, very familiar. For the love of Christ compels us that one died for all, that is Jesus Christ crucified, therefore all have died, that's us. That those who now live, resurrection life, much, must, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. This is the gospel of Christ's love, right there in those two verses. This is what the love of God looks like. This is the lengths to which God's love has gone to make provision for us. And what's more, he not only has made the provision, as we'll see in a moment, he's done everything necessary to bring us into it. And we are the recipients. And I want to underscore here that, that please note that the new life that we now live, we live for him, not for ourselves. We've died, and the life we now live, we live for him. So this sets up the next two verses, 16 and 17. In verse 16, Paul says, consequently, given this reality, given the fact that Christ died, given the fact that we believe we've been joined to him and that we too have died and that now as he came forth from the tomb, we are raised from the dead, believing that, identifying with that, he says in verse 16, from now on, as a result, we no longer live, we no longer, excuse me, regard anyone according to the flesh. Now the flesh is the self-life that characterized our living before we died, before we knew Jesus Christ. This was the self-deceived, self-exalting, prideful way of thinking and relating and that is what is no longer determining how we regard other people, how we regard God, and though Paul doesn't say it, we can infer it, how we regard ourselves. We don't do it according to the flesh. We don't do it according to the old nature that, that was contrary to God, contrary to God's perspective and insight. Why? Because we've died. This is no longer in play, is what Paul is saying. We don't regard people in this way. 
He then goes on for the second conclusion. Verse 16 is negative. We don't regard people according to the flesh. Verse 17 is positive. If anyone is in Christ as a result of 14 and 15, he is a new creation. Our becoming a new creation is worked by God, and I want to suggest this is our first past. I said we have two pasts. This is the first one. We've become a new creation, but that process of our becoming a new creation started according to what Scripture tells us before the foundation of the earth. In the terms of Romans, Romans the, uh, the eighth chapter, it said that God foreknew us. Foreknew us. Didn't just foreknow a crowd, but there is implied in it that he foreknew everyone who he would draw to himself, and that means he foreknew you and me. In terms of Ephesians 1, it says that he chose us in Christ from before the foundation of the world. This is how far back we go with God. This is the first past. And not only does it have its... Now, I can't even begin. I was trying to think about it today. I can't even conceive of what that would look like. I just know that something was initiated by God in that eternal realm before the foundation of the earth was laid in which he set forth his purpose and he knew and recognized each one of us as being woven into that purpose. And having created this purpose that was going to be brought about because he is sovereign, because he has decreed it, our process of being brought into, worked into that reality was made sure. God set himself and he set out a path. If you look at Romans 8, 29 and 30, Ephesians 1, 5 and 6, it talks about the fact that we were foreknown and we were, we were chosen in Christ and that God did so with the intent that he predestined us that we would grow into the nature of Jesus Christ and he would do everything necessary. He would call us, he would, he would move in our lives so as to bring this about. This is where our, not our relationship with God, we weren't even in existence as we now are then, but we were known. We were known. There was forethought. There was something God had in mind. And what is so intriguing to me then <clears throat> is that our spiritual history began with our being foreknown by God but God's foreknowledge and his eternal choice of us was then worked out into the history of our lives. God is a God of history. He worked his will through, if, that's what the Old Testament is about. God working in the history of a people called Israel. Well, guess what? He's the God of our history too. He stepped into the reality he began working in the reality to accomplish what he said he would do when he foreknew us to bring that about in the fabric of our lives. And each of us can, has experienced 
the history of that being brought about. God's foreknowledge, his eternal choice of us worked in our lives. That worked in our lives, in our circumstances, in our thinking, in our experiences to bring us to being encountered by Jesus Christ. The gospel encountered our lives and we were in response to it by faith. According to John 1 and John 3, we were born again. Now, what that was, was not a do-over. That was not God simply saying, okay, I'm going to push the reset for Duke. He's, he's really gone off the rails, but I'm going to just reset him and let's see what he does. No, no. He sowed the seed of his own nature down in the soil of our souls. So that not only, not only are we something, we become something different because we are now in the process of cooperating with the nature of Jesus Christ growing up in us. This is what our lives are about. It's not for our sake. Our lives are now bound up in, in cultivating the nature of Christ and growing in that. And God has been working to bring that about. He worked to bring about the encounter that we call conversion, in which we enter in by faith to this relationship with Jesus Christ. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27 describes the radical work of God done in us when we began to believe. In that place, in that moment in time, in that encounter with Christ, and I trust you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ that undid you in some significant way. That convicted you deeply. That brought you to the realization that you had come to the end of yourself. Because in that place, Ezekiel 36 describes of what God is doing. He said, we were cleansed so that what was, that what was unclean, not just what was unclean, but he said, the, the word there is our, unclean, our uncleannesses are washed from us and our idols. That out of our hearts was taken a heart of stone and put within us was a heart of flesh. A new spirit was given to us along with that heart of flesh and the Holy Spirit himself came to indwell in us. This is what God has worked out in the history of each of our lives from the beginning of when he foreknew us before the, the foundation of the earth. Now, I hope you're getting the significance of history here. The past is not just the past we know and remember. The past as is revealed in Christ Jesus is important for us to recognize and to realize what the implications are for it. My hope tonight is not to try to get us into some kind of esoteric vantage point, but rather to commend to us something that maybe we've never really thought about, and that is that God has had something purposeful in mind for us, for you, for me, and for our lives individually for a very, very, very long time. And we are now in the current of that if we've come to faith in Christ. How does Paul state it? He summarizes it. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Then he goes on. The old has passed away. Now here's the second past. Here's the past we know only too well. Here's the past we think of when somebody says, Tell me about your past. 
This past is the one that we all have and that we must carefully regard in order to properly relate to it. This past is shaped and directed by what we have come to know as the self, as self. And let me just say something here, and I should have said it earlier, and I kind of inferred it, but it's this, that we need to always properly regard and then properly relate to our past. It's the reason why I, the scripture reveals what our past is in the Lord. And it's why we need to be honestly and transparently open about what has gone on in our past. What I call the past of our self-life. That's what the second past is. That is what Paul is saying now has passed away. We'll look at what that means. This self-life, this past that we've lived from ourselves, has, has been generated out of our sin nature and how we've walked. Paul describes it in Ephesians 2 as that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, carrying out the passions of our flesh, carrying out our, the desires of our body and mind. We were children of wrath. This describes this, this, Paul isn't trying to be mean here. He's just calling it what it is. This is where we've come from. And more than importantly, this is what's directed us. This is, what has, this is what's defined us. This is what has placed demands upon us to do things that have now left us in so many ways with numerous things that we have to deal with that we regard as our past. Beyond this inward toxic life, we were born and raised in an environment of sin, death, and devastation. All have been shaped by the environment and circumstances of our past. So our past is not only driven by what was wrong and carnal and fleshly and self-centered in ourselves, rooted in sin, we were born into a world that was completely shaped by that. You think there'd be a scar or two left on us as a result of that? Of course there is. Some primary areas of influence that affect us, and I, I had two or three different lists, and these are the, I just want to generally summarize the areas that have the spheres of effect, the spheres of influence in our life. I've just listed three. And these continue to exert influence over us. Number one is family. Family is where we learn how to behave, how to please, how to influence, how to survive. Families may have been unstable or broken, fragmented. Some of you have, may have had a family that, that, that the very way it, it worked did something that turned you, that shaped you. I don't, I, I, for my part, I came from a relatively good family. Mom and dad were married 57 years or something like that before my dad passed away. And, and I, I have very pleasant memories of that. I know numbers of people who don't have that. But even in that, there are things that still leave a mark. And these are the things that family has shaped in us. And what they've shaped in us have not always been healthy. A second sphere of influence are what I call offenses and wounds. 
rejection. It's likely, probably, of course, that none of us were loved as fully and properly as we needed to be loved, as we should have been loved in a perfect world. And as a result, we are affected by the, by the rejection that, is, that, that came to us through that lack of proper love, of proper nurture. Some were abused physically and emotionally. They were not, they, and, and I won't even go into all of the aspects of that. If that's where you've come from, you know right well what I'm talking about. But these things have shaped something in us. They've marked something in us. They've affected us. The wounds of our past, unaddressed and remaining hidden, work like physical wounds. If they're not attended to properly, they become infected. And sepsis spreads through our system. And the importance of properly regarding and then properly relating to our past. We need to do that. And the third broad sphere area and this one you don't hear too much, too often referenced, is our own personal perversity. Our own behavior toward others and ourselves. In one sense, all of us are victims, but truthfully, all of us are victimizers as well. Guilt that comes from that can be a very powerful influence rooted in our past that shapes our actions and thoughts now. The attitudes and motives of past actions can become habits, addictions, things that have to be addressed and have to be openly and properly regarded. So, Paul, what has passed away? You say the, the, the old has passed away. What has passed away because we have died in Christ is the power of these influences to control and define us. It's the power of these things that have been that have that has been passed away. These are the old. Remember, we've died with Christ. What is not being said here by the apostle, and please hear this, and it's critical, Paul is not saying that our past no longer matters. Rather, what characterized, influenced, controlled our lives before Christ is now in the past. What defined us is in the past. That's the old. What controlled us is in the past. That's the old. The old has passed away because we've died with Jesus Christ. We've been set free. These influences need no longer be defining, controlling, or dominating our every thought, every choice, every action, every motive, or every attitude. To quote Romans 8.3, the law of the spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's what Paul is saying has passed away. We have become new creations and we live in this. While we may struggle at times now with depression, we must not be ruled by it. We may get angry, but this is not to be our go-to response any longer. Anxiety does not need to rule our lives. To say the old has passed away, to believe this must not lead us to deny the real influences of the past, to stuff them or sweep them under the rug. 
That's not, that's not properly regarding or properly relating to our history. As new creations, now please follow me here. This is, this is kind of cool. As new creations, the outworking of our spiritual past realized in our conversion to Christ. That's what I was describing about our first past. As new creations, the realities of our past self-life are now used by God to form us in Christ. And here's something that dropped into my mind early this morning, and I hadn't thought of it in all my thinking about this. At the cross of Christ, our two pasts intersect. At the cross of Christ, our two paths intersect. The eternal life in Christ that goes back from before the foundation is the vertical life that we live. The horizontal is the self-life that has formed and shaped us so much. And at the cross of Jesus Christ, these two intersect. And the one becomes dominant over the other. The one begins to define and take control and rule over so as to bring meaningful change, healing, and deliverance from the effects of the other. Much in our natural past is washed away by God's mercy and power. When we come to Christ and he takes out that heart of stone, a lot of what we carried, a lot of how we thought, a lot of what we did was removed. The mercy of God washed over us and restored us. And we, all, and we know that and we've experienced that. But often, deep-seated patterns of behavior, habits, motives, attitudes, rooted in our sin nature, shaped and fueled by our upbringing, remain. And they remain often without our even being aware of them. They've become habit. They've become I heard one person testify the other day about how God had shown her something and she, she thought the way she responded was her personality. And God had begun to open up the fact, hey, this isn't personality. This is the effect of how you've been shaped, how you've learned to cope with life. Without intending them to do so, these things continue to shape and influence our choices and actions. Our thoughts. With Paul, we, we so often say, that which I would do, I do not do. And that which I would not do, that I do. But God is sovereign. He uses these to press us into himself, into deeper relationship and dependence upon him, encountering these seemingly unmovable obstacles we are pressed into the truth. We are pressed into repentance. We are pressed into healing, into deliverance, into an increasing dependence upon the grace of God, the life and power of God's truth working in us. I will therefore boast in my weakness, Paul says, because when I am weak, then I'm strong. And then Paul concludes, behold, the new has come. He says, in effect, look, look, the new has come. 
And what is the new? It's the project of the kingdom of God being formed in us and being formed in the world. It's the great eternal project of God taking root and being formed in our lives. A process that grows us, that heals us, that changes us, that transforms us over the course of our lifetime. Our history, our life experience is important to God. Please hear me when I say, when you look back on a devastated past, understand, not only does God have compassion on that, it's important to him. Because he knew that would come about, and before the foundation of the earth, he intended to work right on through that. Not to brush it aside, not to deny it, not to negate it, but to redeem it. To make it useful to his purpose. Useful in forming you and forming you and conforming you to the nature of Christ. You and me. Useful in giving you, as my wife's reminded me two or three times or more this week of when I've gone over this message, let people know, remind people, it's their testimony. It's what we bear witness to of the reality of Christ. That he's used my past. He's redeemed my past. He's working through my past. So how do we overcome? He works through these things because, as in Romans 8, 28, very familiar, because God works all things together for good. All things. All things. Not all that part of your past except, you know, that really nasty part. All that stuff, but the part that wakes you up in the night or makes you timid or fearful when you get around. No, all of it. He works all things together for good for those who love him. So how do we overcome? How do we prevail to real change? How do we overcome these obstacles, these barriers, these things that seem to snag us, catch us? And when we become aware of them, they can almost be devastating. Just realize I'm that way. How do we overcome this? How do we prevail under real change? We do so by pressing in. Pressing into God's word. Pressing into God's presence. Pressing into God's people. Pressing into God with meditation and scripture memorization. Pressing into God through relationship and accountability. Through prayer. Through the use of spiritual disciplines like fasting and solitude. We press in by drawing upon the resources available to us. Pastoral counsel, discipleship, mentoring, counseling as needed, professional counseling. I think Charles gave him a couple of titles of books. If you're wanting to get off the dime and begin to move in these areas, I would commend to you to look at Robert McGee's book, Search for Significance. Or Peter Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. These are great starting places. Because what they do is they're not trying to therapeutically figure you out or help you do that. But they're rather aimed at equipping you to begin to come to grips with where things are with a view to the fact of where God wants you to go. And what he wants you to become. From now, where we are today, post or past COVID-19 and where we are beginning to come together from where we are now individually, the new 
is fully come, until the time that the new is fully realized with Christ's return, we are to invest ourselves faithfully, determinedly into the new life given us in Christ. We who now live no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died. What's my responsibility to do with the pain, the anguish, the offense, the woundedness, all of the dark, terrible things that I know people in this room and certainly people who are watching have experienced, live with, are shaped by? It's the Lord's. It's God's. And we spend time now learning how to give that over to him. How to be learn to receive his grace so that we can be not only delivered and healed from it, but we can be shaped now by his nature, working through the process of our coming to grips with those things. I'm going to close with this. We will all encounter three Christs in our life. We'll encounter the Christ who delivers, who saves us in a moment, this is the Christ who wakes up out of a dead sleep, speaks to the storm and the waves, and immediately they're silenced. And not only are they silenced, but we're immediately where we're going. This is the God who delivers. This is Christ who delivers. Second Christ is the Christ who upholds us. This is the Christ who keeps and sustains us in the midst of the storm. He could make it go away, but he doesn't. And he's the Christ he wants, who wants us to depend on him, be sustained by him. And then there's the Christ who changes us, who works to make us children of light, holy and blameless. We need to know all three Christs and not pick the one we like the most. I really like that first one. And we sing songs about it and we worship and we dance and we are looking for the Jesus who delivers us from the storm. And I'm just saying, and, my, and I close, what, he, what we need to deal with is not something God, I don't even think he's interested in delivering us from in a moment. He's interested in using it. He's interested in growing us up in himself. John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the way that leads us into peace, well-being, and wholeness. Let me pray with us. Lord God, thank you for the opportunity to speak these things, to develop them in my own understanding and to in the process reflect on my own past but lord more than anything else jesus thank you for what you have done thank you that you have caused us to be joined to you as disciples as followers as people intent upon pleasing you and in doing so to allow you to heal to transform to change so god I just ask you now, minister these things to folks who've been listening tonight and will listen in the future. Speak to them. Help them to properly and rightly regard their past, both pasts, not just the bad past, 
but to rightly regard and have faith for what you've revealed to us about the past that we have from before the foundation of the earth. And then to re regard them properly and then relate to our pasts properly, believing you and working with you. Thank you, Lord God. I just would say to any who may be watching, maybe there's someone here who really doesn't know Jesus Christ as a disciple. You've not given your life to him. You've not asked him to come in and address maybe the things that need to be addressed in your life. And I would just invite you to consider doing that this evening, to open your heart, to ask the Lord, just Lord God, you come and be Lord of my past, be Lord of my present. Jesus, deliver me out of the things that I so much want and need you to deliver me from. But more than anything else, come and live in my life and let me learn to live for you.